good morning. And if you're with us for the first time this morning here, or if you're watching at home for the first time, my name is Ed, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, my wife Diane and I were married in the 1740s, and we, I was in seminary at the time, and uh, I had, therefore, zero money. I heard about this deal with this guy in Bermuda would let uh, ministers or people who were in seminary come stay in an apartment that he owned that was kind of below his house for $50 for the week. So this was about the uh, kind of honeymoon that I could afford. So we signed up to go to Bermuda. Now, one of the things that we did while we were in Bermuda, there, you know, there are various excursion things that you could do. And uh, again, not able to afford uh, any excursions, but we did, <laughs> we did one excursion that um, it looked on the website, it looked really cool. Well, there was no website. I guess it was a brochure. This is in the 1740s, remember? Really, there was no website. Uh, I don't know where I saw this. I guess it was a brochure. But uh, got this brochure, evidently, um, that looked like, you know, a poor man's scuba diving adventure. And I, I've, I've never been diving, so I thought, awesome, this would be awesome. So we, uh, we get to our <laughs> scuba diving adventure, and uh, we go out, you know, just a few hundred yards off the coast. It's only like... 10 feet of water, and he puts these, <laughs> these gigantic helmets on us that look like, I don't know, uh, Jacques Cousteau, for those of you who remember Jacques Cousteau, it's huge. You know, you, you're out of the water, you're like this, and it has a little plate in front of you with a magnified glass. So you can't, I mean, you can't see where you're going. You dr drop into the water, and, and oxygen is pumped into this uh, helmet, and the helmet is so heavy, you know, it stays on your body while you're underwater. So you're, you're, you can almost reach up to the, to the top, but you're down there walking along the bottom like this, and I can't find Diane anywhere because, I can't find, not only can I not find Diane, I can't see a thing because now my, my gigantic, uh, I mean, my magnified little window has fogged up, and Diane, what in the world is going We laughed about this for years. We, you know, it was uh, 20 minutes of not being able to see anything. Uh, we're doing a new series of conversations that we've called Finding Jesus. And we're, talk <laughs> we're talking about things that inhibit us from finding Jesus. We're talking about the giant magnifying screen that's really small, but in front of us, and the magnification actually hurts your ability to see, and now it's fogged over with things that inhibit you and I from connecting to Jesus, from finding Jesus. Last week, we talked about competing priorities, and today, we're going to talk about our stuff and our money. So uh, let me pray. Lord, um, we're here this morning as people who want to find you. There is something that has stirred in our chest and our will that has moved us here. A little bit habit for many of us. Um, for others of us, uh, a sense of, of longing. We acknowledge this morning it, it's there because you put it there. We ask that you would satisfy that longing this morning and meet us. We declare, uh, we limped through this a moment ago, so now we take a moment and declare with 
with our, our heart, with our will, with as much of, as we know of ourselves, we declare to as much as we know of you, Christ is enough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think Robert Brault got it right. He said, everything we possess that is not necessary for life or happiness becomes a burden and scarcely a day passes that we do not add to it. Those burdens become hindrances to finding Jesus. They hurt our efforts to grow spiritually. They weigh us down. They block our ability. They block our ability to see him. They become impediments to finding him, to get a, a clear view of the issue of stuff and money. Let's listen in on an interaction uh, that Jesus had. I suspect this one is familiar to most of you. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. I'd love to have you open it because we're going to reference back to it several times. Luke 18, 18 through 30 will also be on the screen. I'll be reading from an English translation called the New International Version. Uh, and let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. Luke 18, 18 through 30. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Look, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not commit murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Well, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, to him, okay, well, you still lack one thing. It's a big one. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, the saddest verse in the Bible, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, what, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, well, what, what's impossible with people is possible with God. Peter said to him, okay, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children or for the sake of the kingdom, God, will fail to receive many times as much in the age, in this age, in this age, and in the age to come, eternal life. You may be seated. All right, Jesus does some good counseling work here. He, he finds a way to get right to the heart of the matter. Why do you call me good? Now, that's an intriguing, provocative approach, don't you think? And he's, he's not saying that he's not good. He's just aiming to get under the question, to poke the questioner. He's looking for the soft spot. He's searching out the real issue in this conversation. Have you ever noticed, for most of us, when, when, we're, when we have a serious dilemma or there's a crisis in our life or, or whatever, the presenting question is often not the real issue. So Jesus nudges this young man off balance to search him out. Well, why are you asking this question? Now, Matthew in his account tells us that this man, he also includes this account, he tells us that this man was young and rich. 
Luke, in his account, we just read, he calls him a ruler. The word here, the Greek word behind this is archon. It means ruler, commander, chief. It was used in every kind of environment, even military. Uh, But here, it almost definitely means a ruler of the local synagogue, or perhaps even a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He's young, he's wealthy, he's influential. This guy could have lived in Willisford, or Lena, or maybe even Loudoun Valley Estates. He would have been very, very well paid. He had a good family, probably involved in a local church. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This feels like an unusual question. It seems clear to me that this man is looking to fill an empty place. If that's true, think about that. (laughs) This wealthy, spiritually connected, influential, young man was looking to fill an empty place. I mean, he kind of checks all the boxes, and he's still looking for something more. The country singer Margot Price, I don't know if you know her, she has a song called Hell in the Heartland. And the third verse reads this, In my heart there's a hole twice the size of God. Try to fill it up with so many things, but still I just feel lost. We feel you, Margot. We all have empty places. So this young man sought out Jesus to ask him about eternity and not as a theological proposition. This is, this is a very personal probing question. And Jesus answered that question by talking about his stuff and his money. Of course money is an incredibly important issue for us and Jesus knows it, of course. Think about this. Consider, for example, our preoccupation with sex and our problems with sex. Or consider our emotional problems, depression, uh, anxiety, anger. Or consider our problems with, with bitterness and resentment. You know, Jesus talked about money than, more than all of those topics combined. It's an incredibly important topic, and Jesus knows it. But still, this is a stark transition. <laughs> How do I get to eternal life? Well, be an extraordinarily good person, follow the law, I'm doing that. Okay, give away everything you've got. Let's pause here for a second. Is Jesus telling this guy to earn his way to heaven? Hey, you're an awesome person in every way. If you are, then you'll get to heaven. Is that it? Now, if you know the ministry of Jesus at all, you know that is not the point. That's not it. That's not what's going on here. That's not why Jesus introduced this man's material stuff into this conversation. If we pull back a step, it's easy to see that money isn't the problem. Money and stuff isn't intrinsically bad. Think about Matthew, the disciple. Matthew was a tax collector. He almost certainly was, had substantial resources. Let's say that's the whole reason that someone went into tax collecting. And yet, we never heard Jesus tell Matthew to give away everything he had. The problem isn't stuff or money itself, but how we think about it, how we use our money, how we think about our stuff and how we treat it. We tend to think about money and its stuff-buying capacity as if it really has the power to make us happier and more satisfied. I'm going to say that again. We tend to think about money and its stuff-buying capacity as if it really has the power to make us happier and more satisfied. If only I had, if only we could, 
dot, dot, dot. And that thinking is the problem. That, as the solution to what's missing, that's the problem. That's the hindrance. That's the giant helmet that gets fogged over and prevents you from being able to see anything. And when we try to use money to get stuff, to fill up our emptiness, then money becomes an impediment to finding Jesus. That may be why, remember, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus, that's what Jesus said in verse 15, and you know, that's a clear indication of just how big a problem this issue is. It's almost impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's almost impossible. We need to pause over that. There's every indication that this is a really good guy that came to Jesus. Jesus doesn't question his sincerity. He doesn't question his goodness. We could imagine Jesus saying, you've obeyed all the commandments. Really? Well, what about those vendors that you cheated? But he doesn't, that's, nothing like that happens in this dialogue. And the disciples also seem to assume that this guy's a really good guy. But his goodness is not enough. Let's do the list again. He's young. He's a guy. He's wealthy. He's influential. He's well-connected. And he's, good. he's a good guy. He's on the positive side of every societal category. And yet... Something seems to be missing. It's not enough. Just in case you think I may be overreading this whole thing in a preachery kind of way, <laughs> just consider this question directed to this rabbi in this way. It's clear he's not challenging Jesus, he's searching. He's heard of Jesus, that's obvious. He seems to have formed a favorable impression of Jesus, that's obvious. Maybe there's something here with this new teacher. Maybe he can speak to this, whatever's missing in me. I mean, that's the only logical reading of this interaction. And then when Jesus begins to hone in on the actual hindrance, when he begins to poke at the impediment in this guy's life, what does this guy do? He walks away very sad, right? He doesn't argue with Jesus. He doesn't object. He just gets real sad and walks away. Maybe his goodness acts as a, a buffer or a kind of cover over his heart and what's blocking it. Jesus can't be right. I'm doing all the right things. That can't be it. Or, or maybe he thinks Jesus is just, just missing the mark or didn't understand him. Yet again, someone disappointed me in my quest. Or, or maybe this is so far from what he's thinking, he doesn't even know how to process this. Or maybe he just has a lot of stuff and he's deeply committed to his stuff. And he figures, there has to be something else that he needs to do, anything other than this. My money and my stuff, that can't be a problem. I, besides, I've worked really hard. I, I've been good and I've earned what I have. That, that has to count for something. That can't be the problem. By the way, the word translated here, very sad, is the same word used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is epic sadness. This is depression. And this whole setting, this whole story, the whole scenario is a serious challenge to people exactly like us. So if our money and our stuff 
that we've accumulated, if that's a burden to us, how do we find relief? Let's offer three things for us to think about this morning. Number one, if we're going to be relieved of the burden of the impediment of money and all of its stuff-buying capacity, we will have to get rid of the impediment. That's the clearest message in, in this interaction with this rich young ruler. We will have to get rid of the impediment, whatever it is. And if it's money and it's stuff-buying capacity, we have to get rid of the impediment. Jesus was clear, wasn't he? You still like one thing, sell everything you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. This week I had uh, uh, five days of devotionals here at church with a, a group of men. It was awesome. And one day, one of the men made a cool observation. That I was already thinking about this and what we would talk about this morning. Based on, you know, kind of what we're reading, he noted that Jesus treats this issue, listen to this, he treats this whole issue differently with different people. The down and out get one kind of challenge and invitation from Jesus. And the up and in get an entirely different kind of challenge and invitation. Of course that's the case. Of course that's how Jesus would handle it. But still, that's worth remembering. So the point here is not, don't miss this, the point here is not, people, go sell everything you have and give it away. That's the way to follow me. That's not the point. The point is, okay, well, you still lack one thing. I see the impediment in you. It's obvious. You, go sell all that you have, give everything away to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. You. If we want to be rid of the burden of money and all of its stuff-buying capacity, if that is an impediment for us, then we have to get rid of the impediment. I don't know specifically what that means for you. I'm not going to pretend to know. But I suspect there is some kind of implication for most of us here. For this young man, it was such a significant burden that he needed to rid himself of everything. For you and me, what do we need to do? I think of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Hill. Some of you know this one. This is the kind of violence that Jesus commands, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to miss out on God's presence. If you want to be relieved of the impediment of money and its stuff buying capacity, you got to get rid of the impediment. Second thing I think we need to think about, if we're going to be relieved of the burden of the impediment of money and all of its stuff-buying capacity, we will have to realize that Jesus is all we need. We have to realize that. We have to remember that. We have to come to grips to that with that. We have to own that. We have to declare that. Jesus is all we need. The call here to this rich young ruler is a call to clear away the clutter, to take off the giant helmet. But not just that. He's also called... He's, Jesus is calling him to, to clear away the clutter to create space in his heart. But not just that. He's, he's, he's calling him to fill that space with followership. Come follow me, Jesus said. 
And notice, he kind of gives the ultimate explanation a little bit later on down in verse 27, doesn't he? Look, this whole exchange was too much for the disciples. You can tell that by the way they, they respond. They've been following Jesus for a while now, and still they don't get it. First of all, Jesus, uh, isn't his stuff a blessing from God? Look at this whole package. If, if he doesn't have it all together, who does? I mean, how do we even have a connection to God if this guy doesn't have one? I'm, look, at this is a blessed life if I've ever seen one. And secondly, Jesus... Do you know what, what a guy like this could do for our movement? This could have been our ticket, and you just sent him away. What are you doing? How is this God's idea? And Jesus gives them the ultimate answer. He says, well, what you're asking, all of it, it's impossible for people. You're right. You can't get this right. You can't get this done. All of your work, all of your planning, all of your goodness even, not enough. Only God can do this. Margot Price was wrong about this part. The hole in her heart isn't twice the size of God. It, it may seem that way because of the enormity of the hole, but it's actually a perfect fit for God and nothing else will satisfy. All of this... The satisfaction of our hearts, a, a sense of purpose, a, a connection, real love, a, a real relationship with God, an eternity that I can feel secure about, a point, and even a sense of peace and joy within and beyond our hardest moments. All of that is God's work in us. I, I have been doing this church business for 140 years, and it's taken me that long to be, to understand that I, I can't convince you of that. No matter how persuasive I am, I can't convince you of that. Even that is God's part. He has to do the convincing. That makes me think, if you'll stay with me for a second, that makes me think of another one of Jesus' famous interactions. Many of you will know this one. This was with an older guy. He was also a really well-connected guy. His name was Nicodemus. And he came in a similar way with a similar kind of inquiry for Jesus. Jesus told this man, here's the deal. Nicodemus, if you really want a connection with God, if you really want to be part of what God is doing now and forever, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus was completely confused. <laughs> what what are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus explained that God has to do a work in you. God has to do something in you, something brand new, has to be born inside of you. Then, then you can begin to get it. Then you see that Jesus is what really satisfies. And some of you know exactly what I mean. You have hard times, you struggle. Sometimes you even have great doubts, but you keep coming back. You're stupid. You keep showing up here. You keep coming back to Jesus. You want this. And even when you don't want this, you want to want this. Why? Well, that's because he has brought something new into your life, and that something new longs to be fed. It longs to grow. It longs to be nourished. That's why we're here, because he has done something in us. And once in a while, 
we know it and we feel it. I also suspect that that hasn't happened for all of us. I suspect there are some of us here who, like Nicodemus or this rich young ruler, are very good people, but you're really standing on the outside of all of this. You, you don't even understand the idea that Christ is enough for me. You've not yet experienced the satisfaction that a real relationship with Jesus offers, if that's you. And you have sensed God stirring in your chest this morning, then all you need to do is ask. Why don't you pray with me right now? Let's pray. If I was speaking to you just now, if, if uh, you're standing on the outside of this, if you've never, I'm not talking about being good. I'm not talking about being religious. We don't care about that. That was not, that's not enough. I'm talking about the soul satisfaction. I'm talking about having been born again. I'm talking about recognizing that Jesus is the governor of your life and he's all that you need. You just silently repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I'm starting to get why I, I was drawn here this morning. And the best that I have had to offer is not satisfying. It's not enough. There is a hole in my heart. I have blown it. I see that I've, I have sinned against myself and against you. I confess it. I'm sorry, and I need you. I need you to rescue me. I need you to breathe something new into my chest. I need to be connected now and forever. I want that soul satisfaction. And I ask you to come into my life and make me new again. Please save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd... Uh, here or at home, I'd like to hear from you. So email me, ed at gatewaychurch.org or uh, talk to me right after the service. Let's talk about what happened and why. I'm just going to ask questions, by the way. Let me remind, but let me remind those of us who have already had a connection with Jesus. Many of you did this a long time ago or some time ago. Let me remind you that this idea, the idea that we realize that Jesus is all we need, we never get to the end of realizing that truth. We never get to check that box. Oh, done with that one. Our entire lives are spent learning this truth at deeper and deeper levels, that Christ is enough for me. I'll guarantee you that there are areas in your life where God is massaging that truth in right now. Jesus is all we need, and he fully satisfies if we're going to be relieved of the burden of the impediment of money and its stuff-buying capacity, we will have to realize and be reminded and reminded and reminded that Jesus is all that we need. He alone satisfies us. More and nicer stuff can never satisfy. That's not how our hearts were designed. Have you heard that famous uh, quote from John Rockefeller? Rockefeller, at the height of his wealth in the early 20th century, he personally represented 2% of America's GDP. He was once asked, how much is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And his response was, just a little bit more. 
Our stuff can never satisfy us. I think it's fascinating that Jesus issued this challenge to this rich young ruler. Stay with me. And the rich young ruler walked away, right? To return to all of his stuff, which he already knew wasn't satisfying. How do I find relief from this impediment? Number one, we'll have to get rid of the impediment. Number two, we'll have to realize that Jesus is all we need. And our third one will be very quick. Let's step outside of this text for a second for number three. If we're going to be relieved of the burden of the impediment of money and all of his stuff buying capacity, we'll have to remember that Jesus has already done what he's asking us to do. Think of it. God the Son lived outside of time, eternal. That's even better than being young. He was infinitely rich, and he was a ruler. In fact, the ruler. And he left all of that. He got rid of all of that for us. Do you know this one? Philippians chapter 2. Bring that next slide up, Thomas, if you would. Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, Being found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. We should remember, especially during this season, especially during Lent, we should remember that Jesus has already done what he's asked us to do. All right, uh, let's wrap up. What what does all this mean for you and me? Uh, As I said, I can't speak for you. But I I doubt this is a lesson that we should overlook too easily. In other words, I think there's something in this for all of us. I I think this is a big one. So one thing for us to think about, this is the hard one, but uh, for some of us, we may have to do violence. Uh, If we want relief from the burden, if we want to remove the impediment, the impediment, When we're in the middle of our comfortable lives, we often don't think of it as an impediment. We we think the impediment is just the next level of comfort. If we could get there, and then we get there, and surprise, it's not satisfying either. If we want to be rid of the impediment that keeps us from finding Jesus, then we'll have to get rid of the impediment. I don't know what that means for you, but... Specifically, some of us may need to think about radical generosity this year, radical generosity. You have secured the children's college fund. You've nearly funded your retirement. If what you're feeling is just a little bit more, it may be that you're looking for your stuff to satisfy your heart. It cannot. What would it look like for you to be extraordinarily generous this year? There are people in this congregation who have done that. Others of us have stood on the sidelines of that. Extraordinary generosity. What if you added a zero to the check that you wrote to Gateway? What if you let someone move into your home for a year? Would it be a hassle? Yes! It would be extraordinarily generous. What would it look like for you to be extraordinarily generous this year to give God permission to take you way out of your comfort zone? Have you thought of talking to him about that? 
Second thing, we'll go a different direction. For some of us, it's different. Uh, we need to be reminded that Jesus is all we need. That is, after all, the core of it. We've got to get to a new level of trust and dependence and focus on Jesus. That's what he's already been stirring in you, if that's you. This morning may be about deciding that you'll go all in on that this year. You're going to need to use the Lenten season as a way to do that. I encourage you to talk to someone about that. Talk to someone. Make it public. Ask God to show you how, to show you what the next steps in that process would be. And just knowing that Jesus is all I need. And as we said, for others of us, that journey has never really started. So make today that day. Make today that day. Don't leave here today like the rich young ruler did. To go back to what you already know didn't satisfy. Make today the day. I'm not asking you to be religious. <laughs> I'm asking you to push all your chips in with Jesus. Oh, Father, again, I, I feel like this is a big one for us because of who we are, how we've ordered our lives, where we live. I want to pray that you will take what has been said this morning and for some of us, literally wake us up. We have not yet heard you. And you've been speaking. And we've been hard of hearing. For others of us, Lord, we need to be moved beyond uh, an emotional stirring or a, a quickening in our chest. We need to be moved to action. Specifically, what are you asking of us? How do we move forward in the process of knowing you're enough, knowing that in our bones, and experiencing the soul satisfaction that comes from seeing that clearly without impediment? What's next? For others of us, Lord, we need to do violence. And I pray you would move us beyond any sense of guilt or that you would move us to action and right action, not weird action, not some dramatic step to just to take a step. What is the thing you want us to do? Your servants are listening. 